Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by my friend Jeff Davenport to teach us about the history of drum tuning. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi there, Bart, and thank you very much for inviting me on the show. It's a real pleasure, and we're, uh, we're across the ocean. I'm over in the UK. Yes. And um, yeah, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here and be part of um, the Drum History Podcast. Oh, this is great. I've really enjoyed, uh, I mean, we've gotten, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of weeks. Um, I've yeah, really lockdown. enjoyed <laughs> lockdown, man. We're in lockdown. Um, I've really enjoyed watching your, you have a video series on YouTube or a channel called drum tuning workshops. Um, yeah. and you're on Instagram and we can chat about that all at the end, but you, you do some really cool stuff. Um, and great. I know that you work with Rob cook and you, you do, tuning um seminars i guess you would call it at the uh, chicago show yeah yeah uh, historically so i'm excited to learn the history of this and and one i just keep having the thought in my mind that sometimes i feel like like i almost equate it to like learning to drive where when yeah. you first started to drive <laughs> you're like you're constantly checking the speedometer you're constantly yeah. checking your mirrors you're checking gas what what like, everything is so like but then the more you do it you're just like you're just doing things without even thinking. Yeah. And I'm sure that's how you get to with a level of tuning yeah. where you're just bam, bam, bam. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And yeah, the musical equivalent of that is knowing your instrument. Um, and, True. It and it always used to amaze me. Um, uh, when I was teaching drums, I taught drums for a bit. And um, when I, when I was teaching, I said to the, you know, the pupil at first meeting and say, Oh, have you any lessons on tuning? No, I never had any lessons on tuning. And they've been having lessons for four years, five years, and they've never even thought about how to drive the car. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, I guess it's important. I mean, we've got to keep it in perspective, you know. And you've yeah. got to play your drums. You've got to perform. You've got to play to the music. And so I yes. always make sure that the tuning and the setting up, you know, does come after, you know, learning a few grooves and playing along to stuff. Um, but knowing your instrument, so you know. If you're a guitarist, you tune up before you have your lesson. If you're a clarinet player, you set the reed. If you're a saxophonist, you'll do the same and so on and so forth. And timpani players obviously have to find a, the, the note of the drum that they're going to um, to play for the performance piece. And and so the drum kit, we, we're like, <laughs> we're last in the pile really um, because we've got the most complex like you say, going back to the variables, we've got the most complex instrument you could ever imagine. And we have this situation where we can't see what we're doing. You know, I always say no. if, if there was a drum head, which could change color with tension, we'd be, mm. you know, we'd be miles ahead, but we don't have that. Yeah. We can't see what we're doing. So we have to resort to our hands and we have to resort to our eyes and our ears. Um, and, um, and kind of piece it together. And, um, you know, teaching tuning is about sitting around uh, a table in a pub or a campfire or whatever. It's about, you know, it's verbatim. It's you talk about it and um, you demonstrate it. And it's not, you know, it's not something really that can be done very accurately through the medium of the computer. But we now have a it's, it's got much better. It's got much better. Now yeah, there's more yeah. knowledge kicking about. Well, I think knowledge is what kind of gets rid of that tabooness. So why yeah. don't you drop some knowledge on people <laughs> and perfect segue and, and teach everyone um, 
really about the history of tuning because I'm fascinated by it. I know there's guts involved and oh my goodness, uh, different oh my goodness things. I mean, I'm I'm glad it's been a period of time where I've had time to think about it because I think we said this right at the beginning when we first talked that the history of tuning is the history of the drum. Um, yeah, exactly, and and I have to be really careful here because there are many, many hundreds of people who are better at describing the history of the drum than me. I mean, I'm a demonstrator. Sure. And we are all performers, and and looking back over pretty much the history of human beings, the drum being central to the gatherings, central to communities, central to people, you know, just existing on this earth. Um, I suddenly realised, oh my goodness, am I qualified for this? But I just thought, well, you know, let's just pick out a few things and look at, um, you know, drums being communication equipment and how do we make them? And so, you yeah. you know, I, I've used, I tell you now, I'll just quickly tell you my sources because I think they're really important, um, you know, points of, of, of information for everybody to kind of, you know, throw everything in the pot. Um, so there's a book by James Blades called The Percussion Instruments and Their History. Now, James Blades was an eminent historian, but more importantly, a professional um, uh, orchestral percussionist and he did hundreds and hundreds of British museum trips trips to the British Museum to find out about stuff and his book is it's the, well lo- I bought it in lockdown because it's the first time I've been able to find it under 100 pounds this book oh nice yeah yeah, yeah it's one of those <laughs> when you go to Bell Percussion in London and they're the premium um, percussion hire place for London orchestras and you know, music in, in London this book is on their desk and it's for very good reason. Um, what's in there is, is just unbelievable. Um, so that's a really good book to look for James blades and all of his books, actually um, the Vienna symphony library. That's a fantastic resource. Um, not only for, um, um, you know, music and, um, and all sorts of kind of interesting history of um, in, uh, orchestral instruments, but more importantly, it gives you a little bit of insight into the how the orchestra used drums. Uh, the British Museum has a website, the Royal Collection. We'll look at the Royal Collection in a minute because it has one of the earliest kind of um, single point tuning mechanisms, i.e. one dial, <laughs> one knob, many tones, and a system for you know recording those tones. Um, there's a lot of history in timpani. Um, and there's a lot of history in kettle drums, and before that they were called nakers. Um, they were put on horses, and before they were put on horses, there were drums were held by people, and somebody else played them. So the poor guy was carrying drums down the road. Oh God! But when you really go, yeah, when you really go back, you're looking at tribal drums, and you're looking at um, skins held on pegs, dried in the sun, yeah. and played over, you know, played over pits. Um, and then you're kind of, you know, we can go right back to, um, you know, skin stretched over shells, tortoises, mm. turtle shells, oh. <laughs> shells. Man. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. We're, we're, you know, we really did use exactly what was to hand, um, you know, for communicating passion and, and, and a feeling, you know. Um, and we also had, um, after that, pretty much when we started to make clay, um, you know, amphoras and, and cookery dishes and things like that. We had clay clay pots. 
Um, so funny enough, I actually found an old drum in the shed, which was exactly this. It's a, it's a clay pot with a, with a stretch skin. Um, and the skin is, the skin is made wet and then it's put on the clay pot and then it's dried. And sometimes, um, then, you know, these are tacked in the, the, the skins and sometimes they're, they're pulled on little bits of string or rope and, um, hmm. you know, and they're, and they're kind of one hit wonders, you know, you've got very little control over them. <laughs> um, cause well, I, that was my, know, that's my question yeah. with this is, as so first off, what year, what century was the turtle stuff going on? <laughs> well we're talking kind of you know birth of man you know okay talking, that's what i figured that's yeah we're talking thirty-seven thousand, forty thousand years ago um, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> ice age they found drums you know from the ice age you know um which are which are effectively you know skins over over um over animal shells and, mm, uh, man, and I think it's pretty. People probably yeah. know this. Uh, there's a, it, it comes up in a lot of episodes where drums were obviously used as a form of communication, sure, um, yeah. to tell people something. Yeah, yeah. and just having so, a good time. They love you know festivals, parties, yeah. a celebration, somebody's birthday, birth of a, a of an offspring. Uh, yeah, get the yeah. instruments out. Get the drums going. So, would you say then the first kind of tension? would be the the stretching and drying in the sun kind of sure. thing to let it yeah, dry yeah, exactly okay. that not yeah like you said not not a lot of control there yeah zero control almost apart from you know obviously atmospheric conditions which send it's like our own skin we <laughs> we tend to relax yeah. in the sun we tend to get quite um, uptight as humans and when it gets a bit colder and it's all to do definitely with the, <laughs> it's all to do with the atmospheric conditions but we're, we're really we're really tied down by what's recorded in history. We're, we're really tied down by what is written and what is, um, you know, documented. So, um, you know, so we don't, it's a bit like, um, you know, I see people talking about Zildjian symbols or oh, 1623. Where are these 1623 symbols? I want to see them. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's they, true. Yeah. They don't really exist. You know, it's, um, you know, they're about the place. Um, you know, Zildjian was a company that was making stuff, but, you know, ultimately a lot of these things are consumables. They, they come and they go. So we're, we're down to what's been saved and what's been recorded. So, um, I did a quick look at screws and, um, there's a lovely website called boltscience.com, boltscience.com. Mm. There's a guy in the UK, and he's an expert on screw threads. <laughs> I thought this That's was fantastic, cool. the pitch and what have you. And, you know, and he talks about um, 400 BC, uh, Architus of Tarantum uh, was, a, uh, was pretty much the founder of mechanics, and he was a contemporary of Plato and He's credited often with, you know, the kind of invention of the screw um, in oil presses and juice presses, you know, to get um, olive oil and, and make wine. And, yeah. um, you know, you're looking at these kind of inventions, which kind of trigger, obviously, well, the whole thing, you know, because a lot of mechanics is tied to um, the Industrial Revolution and um, the, the need for... Um, Often you'll find, you know, mechanical invention in, in war items and, you know, things to do with, um, you know, military. Um, so it's quite nice to find oil presses and juice presses and then obviously water, you know, bringing water along. And 
because you know screw is the screw thread is 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 central to our understanding today of a kit. Um, yeah. and then I've also got Archimedes, and uh, he, uh, people talk about him being the, you know the founder, but he was actually just the first person that was kind of credited in history, you know, um, from from for hundreds of years. Uh, he was kind of oh, he, Archimedes was the guy, and he was two eighty eight BC to two hundred and twelve BC, um, and so he's. He's there as well, but we don't really see um, screws, you know, appearing. Uh, I've got a few notes here. There was um, in 1405, there's a fellow called Conrad Kaiser who wrote a book called Belly Fortis, and it's a study of um, instruments of war. I can't wait to get this book. <laughs> it's going to be such a grim <laughs> read. Um, yeah. But he was, uh, you know, he was looking at, you know, envisaged a crank on the screw you know he drew the crank so something at uh, the end to kind of turn the screw and that was 14 give tension i mean that's it's just kind of putting it all perspective is that screw <laughs> and obviously and everything kind of it, it just is it embodies the able the ability to tighten things right Correct. to simplify yeah. it yeah, yeah. So you, and and for a drum um you know what people wanted was uniformity across the drum head. yes that was their main game was to get this drum head tension to a point where we could really you know take it to war and it would sound impressive and and scary and um <laughs> uh, yeah and, exactly and then you know the the screw thread was going to help us do this because other than that we were having to pull down on ropes on a dried skin and um you know and that as as we know the skin can break it can snap it can kind of you know shatter or whatever um so this was going to be a great invention and funnily enough as soon as you see that screw arrive in kind of written history you see pictures as well to go along with it so uh, 1514 is the earliest one i can find and it's a picture uh hans bergmeier the elder (laughs) um (laughs) i suggest now bart that you add the elder to your name because i think that would just i think i will bart van der zee the elder (laughs) I think that would sound great. I'll say I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, the elder. Yeah, <laughs> I think that'd be great. Anyway, he did yeah. a picture of musical instruments um, where he paints uh, a kettle drum, uh, a timpani, uh, with a single point uh, tension screws all around the hmm. edge. So that's fifteen fourteen. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, I, I, wow. I thought that was that was uh, James Blades writes about him, and that's okay. a that's a cool. really great uh, image. Um, and then we also have um, around the same time, and I think he might have been influenced um, by Leonardo da Vinci, also envisaging um, what does he write? He writes pretty much a single a drum with cogs working by wheels and springs. Um, and I think that's um, and he he actually draws it as a plate. Um, what is it? As a drum with with again screws screws on them. I can't find it. I can't. I can't see it. Maybe somebody's got it. But he also envisages. This is great. This is brilliant. Um, he also envisages a drum with a lever that um, that uh, changes the tension on the drum, which we have now. Which people <laughs> attempted in like the 30s, I think. I mean, that's that's I know, amazing. Yeah, and obviously the uh, Arbiter Auto Tune is a yes. is just a collar which which brings uh, brings the head. Uh, tensions the head sideways and a weird thing it really does they're great drums uh but they they kind of have a choked sound 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, back then, we're talking 15th century, people were looking for a one-hit, snap-fit, you know, <laughs> get it Which sorted. Still are. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, a single uh, a single quick fix to tuning drums. They're, um, they're really, they were busting back then to make it easy. Uh, and I think that's brilliant. I think that's, you know, because when you look at the questions on forums and the questions I get at um, tuning help desks and workshops, they are identical to the questions these guys would have had back in the 16th century, 15th century, exactly the same. Um, and when yeah. I write all the questions down on a, on a, on a sheet, I then show people uh, the sheet from previous gig and, uh, and they are exactly the same. Everybody's asking the same question. Everyone's got the same yeah. question. Wow. <laughs> and that, that's funny. That, that I've done probably, you know, when I'm working for EMD, I was probably doing, I've probably done about 20 of these and I've got, I've saved the sheets and they're all the same question every, every show. Um, hmm. So throughout history, we've had the same problems, which is great because we're all in this together. Um, so the next, uh, the next picture I found um, was a guy called Pretorius and the, the Vienna Symphony Library picks up on this actually. Um, and he wrote a book of musical instruments called the Syntagma Musicum. And this is probably the only time you'll ever hear me speak Latin, Bart. Um, and it's probably <laughs> the only time that Latin will be uttered on this show. So let's let's enjoy the moment. But he had, yes, he, he pictures um, kettle drums with single point tensions all around the drum. Uh, and he also draws a key. Um, oh, wow. A tuning key. Now I've got, we'll talk about keys. I've got a big, big thing about keys and that, I think most of them are completely inadequate for doing the job that we've got to do with them. Um, mm. But that's my own, that's my own personal kind of <laughs> beef. Um, but he, uh, Pretorius wrote three volumes of books between 1640 and 1620. Um, and he even um, pictured a, a rope drum with a screw strainer. So a snare strainer, which is, you know, a, a screw type. So you, you, you twist it and it, and it tensions the snare wires. Um, and that was on a soldier's drum. They call it a Lance Quenet drum. Because um, all of this ties What year towards, was, well, when was that, that? So that's between, well, he pictured this drum between 1640 and 1620. Okay. He, died in, he died in 1621. And he was a composer gotcha. and a music theorist. Um, so that's really interesting. You know, I mean, we were looking to make things simple back then, you know, um, and I think the 16th century is really interesting in the sense that what you also have happening is you had, you know, a, a sudden boost of um, a demand. Um, you know, if you can imagine before that, you're looking at ceremony and um, it was a lot, a lot of it was tribal. We got, we got society really kind of shaping up to what we know it today. So you have, now have in the 16th century, uh, you know, royal musicians happening. You have this, you know, uh, the, the the gauge of your country was, um, you know, the prowess of your country was gauged on your, if you had kind of musicians. Sure. And, and if they had access to, you know, the, these latest things called timpani and trumpets and, and, you know, they're expensive and they were a sign of wealth. So you suddenly started to see, well, you, I guess they've always been around, but here you suddenly start to see, you know, improvements in instruments linked to the guilds. Effectively, I'm talking about the guilds, 
which were um, you know um, royal um, music, you know groups of musicians. And here we suddenly um, pick up um, you know the beatings of drums. And hmm. this, you know, what, how you flourish with a trumpet <laughs> at the end of a phrase. Yeah, sure. and, and, and you suddenly got this little, little, little close shop also happening of secret society of sorts, if you like, of, of these musicians being very protective about their knowledge. Because um, when you look at what's written down um, about how you tune drums or even how you play drums is very little. And I'll give a quick shout out here. Um, we've never talked, um, but a guy called Ed Rifle, uh, Toronto Orchestra, wrote a fantastic um, treatise on the study of written um, music for timpani. Uh, and it's a brilliant read. And it goes back to Altenberg's book in 1795. And this, this 1795 book was pretty much the first time you saw it, you know, a timpani player writing for timpani players, you know, in terms of drum yeah. history books. I don't sure. have a copy. Uh, I have 200, you know, different method and tutors in the garage, but I don't have that one. <laughs> um, and <laughs> the whole thing is linked, you know. Um, while you've got the guilds happening, um, happening in the royal courts within, you know, uh, Europe and, and England, You've also got the weights, W-A-I-T-S. You've got groups of musicians here um, that are all coming together and playing and um, they'll celebrate. Uh, these are kind of like your community musicians. And so you've got this little world here happening, which is, you know, where you might see a, tub, um, a tambour being played um, in one hand and a, and a whistle being played in the other, one-handed. Um, this is kind of early mm. music. Um, and you might find surnames associated with people who played drums. So, you know, your surname might come up, you know, might be appropriately um, named. And, um, yeah, so you've got you've got these two groups of people coming along which drive the, the need for audibility with drums. So you've, you've got quite a lot happening uh, musically. And because, uniformity, like, like you said. Yeah. I mean, obviously you want – these groups of people to all sound similar. And um, I heard uh, I did an episode which will be out by the time this episode is released, but it's on the history of U S military drumming. Um, and I talked to his name's Patrick Jones. And he said that uh, George Washington note noted that he said the band sounds awful. We need to get better <laughs> trained musicians yeah. because it makes everyone it makes your country look bad to have guys <laughs> yeah. where the drums sound bad everything's just kind of well do you know what? not that, good that, that ties into the royal musicians and the, their job was pretty um pretty important to you know make the whole thing look damn fine <laughs> for dignitaries yeah. and and what have you and um i think um what 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 where those guys ended up is um in orchestras um hmm. because what we have now is we have the birth of composition we have um you know suddenly we've got more people on this planet we you know the societies are growing and we have the need for music and, and performance and suddenly we see the birth of the orchestra as we know it um and i think that's another driver for tuning you know um gadgets and the need for tension and to be able to yeah. change it and get it back um, <laughs> um so yeah, you'll really. see, yeah so you'll see you know late 17th century you'll suddenly see orchestras happening 
and you'll see you'll see these musicians heading to orchestras and um you know and suddenly the the need for you know good sounds um but the weights they go back to 13th century the the groups of local musicians go way back you know 1272 is the earliest record i have here in holland of they were called the alta capella and uh, Mm. in france they were called the haute musique uh, and Italy, they were called the Alta Musica, and these are groups of musicians that perform for you know, you know, festivals and arrival of you know parties, weddings, you know, and they're real drivers, yeah. you know, they're, they're professional musicians. These these weights were, in, funny enough, um, the, these groups of musicians were banned in the UK in 1835 with the Municipal Corporation Act. <laughs> they were cleared Weird. out, yeah, because it was just. Oh, it was all cronyism, basically. You could never join these bands or you can you could never get anywhere in society because it was all sewn up, you know. Sure, and, yeah. Um, 1835 was a big change in the UK um, hmm. for, for that. And funnily enough, around then, so it's interesting. I mean, we've got orchestras between kind of the late 17th, but it isn't until like the mid-19th century, like 1837, that I pick up my next story. I can't find much you know, tuning kind of history between those points other than, you know, you've got, you've got kettle drums, which are chord tension. So these are, you know, they, there might be some advancements in terms of pulling a counter hoop down rather than just the head. Uh, so the, the skin is fixed to a hoop and then the hoop is pulled. Um, because I, uh, this is really interesting and this could almost be a, a subject of a show in itself, Bart, which is, a fella called Cornelius Ward, who arrives, you know, early 1800s as a person. He's an inventor and a manufacturer. And um, he pretty much patents uh, a a screw tuning device for a drum. Um, So this is 1837. Um, So this is just really after the, you know, the Industrial Revolution that happened in, in England and then across in, um, in Belgium, and then spread eventually to America. Um, and this is where, you know, modern manufacturing techniques of manipulating metal um, become, you know, smaller. We can actually get things made smaller. You know, if you, Archimedes' screw back in the day was a huge, great wooden thing. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. But now we can turn and work metal. And I think the history of tuning is definitely tied to, well, it's absolutely tied to um cost effectivity, um, usability, um, and all, almost always in in mind of a musical outcome. How do we use this musically? Um, but Cornelius Ward, brilliant, and um, somebody last month has one of his drums um, and is on the Vintage Drum Forum. I can't wait to make contact with him. But one of these drums has turned up in the States. Um, and it's basically a snare drum with a series of J hooks um, that tension the head. So the bottom head is was where the J is, and the hook comes all the way to the top. And lo and behold, there is a wing bolt, and there's four of them on this drum. And what's missing off the drum is what's in Cornelius's patent, which is a series of cords and um, and cogs and wheels which allow the head to be um, tensioned. Um, via a, a central um, kind of cog, which you turn with your hand, which will set the pitch. Um, 
1837. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but, that's uh, pretty yeah. advanced. Yeah, so and he applied this to um, kettle drums as well. Eventually, um, you can see it on the royal collection. The royal collection in one of the uh, the royal ball supper room in Buckingham Palace in London is one of Cornelius's um, kettle drums, and you can see it. You just type in royal collection, type in Cornelius Ward, great old name, and lo and behold, there's mm. this drum. Fantastic. So he describes four things in the, in the patent. You know, that it's, it's about straining heads and also a quick release mechanism for, for you know changing heads because obviously you can just you know, switch this um, this handle down and you know, it releases sure. all the, all the tension. Um, bizarrely, he thought a hole in the middle of the head made a better sound. <laughs> oh, so that's odd. It, yeah, even on a snare drum and even on a on a timpani, just cut a small hole in the middle. Of the head, um, so you could, you know, keep your sandwiches in there. And um, <laughs> like, how how big? I mean, well, I don't like- know. I don't know. It's not written down. Um, and uh, okay. also, he yeah. So he he thought that, but but when you actually consider it, when you put a hole in your bass drum, it really does mute the the tension across the head. And I think that's what yeah it, yeah. And so it's look, pretty normal there on the you know yeah the resonant head then. Than it is on the actual batter, batter. side. That yeah, yeah, it. I know. This is weird <laughs> that it's on the batter. Yeah, like you keep, yeah. keep losing your stick. And uh, <laughs> but I, I always think of um, when I see a hole in a drum front bass drum head, I always think of Larry Mullen's kit um, and Larry Mullen mm-hmm. and U2. And I always think of that immense sound that he has on his bass drum, which is um, I think a P3, a Remo P3 as a batter, and um, and a pinstripe on the front head with a hole cut out in the middle and the, and the, and the actual plies taped together. Um, and that's one of his kind of studio sounds, but I digress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but holes, uh, the other thing that Cornelius Ward came up with his patent. So straining heads, hole in the middle of them and also holes around the edge of the shell. Um, so near, near the bearing edge. So effectively vented um, a shell. Which, which which allowed the equilibrium of, of pressure between the outside and the inside of, of the actual membrane, the actual head itself, um, to balance pressure, um, which I think is a really interesting thing because a lot of timpanis only had one hole at the bottom um, to allow that pressure to escape. Um, and this, he thought, great, I'm just going to put holes all around the edge and this is going to sound great. And he must have done some experiments. So we're talking 1837 yeah. here, but... We're talking 1830, 1820s, when he, he must have put all this together. Because the oh, patent yeah. itself is very well written. Um, very ahead of its, it's ahead of its time to, to be yeah. well, thinking th- about that I, and, and understanding it. Yeah, well, I think he's taken uh, what um, Leonardo da Vinci um, was putting together and he's taken that and, and run with it and, and, and you know, extended it somewhat. Um, and the other thing in the pattern is rods and screws. So this is, so this is the thing about tuning history is that it's only we can only really kind of go back to what was written down and what's documented. And of course, know, we're, sure, we're, we're really stuck. Um, and with all the secret societies, you know, the secrecy of of how things are done because that you know that secrecy back in the royal court and maybe within the weights um, that secrecy held on to your job. I mean, we we are brilliant now at sharing information um, and sharing, you know, everything that we do because it does ultimately make us look good. It makes us feel good. Yeah, um, sure. And a lot of our we, – we're not 
in that business of we're not in we're not in the business of making music. People that share the most and you know they tend not to be they tend to be like me. They tend to like salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but then exactly. your job relied on it you know there's no way i'm going to tell you how to do a paradiddle go and find out yourself um, yeah that's your <laughs> livelihood i mean that, that makes sense um, yeah yeah and when hmm. you look at the books the books only really started the books on on drumming only really started you know last century um there are very very few of them before that um i mean i know books are expensive to make and to write and what have you but back then you know uh but um yeah and tuning you know I, you can't really describe it. People do try and write it down. You see like, huge long answers on, on, on forums about how to tune a drum. And it's like, Oh my God. Um, it just takes forever. Yeah. But um, yeah, Cornelius, a genius. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure the subject of, of greater discovery because uh, uh, there's a guy who's just got one in the States and um, he's looking for information for it. And I, I, I look forward to, to speaking but this 18, Sorry, totally. this 1851 uh, picture of the kettle drum is awesome it's laced with with wire and cogs and wheels and single point kind of tensioning um, but he also describes on that um that patent and i can't see it on the on the picture but a, a revolving plate with um with with notes written on you know you know a scale um so this is you know oh, quick auto-tune <laughs> timpani yeah so stuff. you can actually gauge it and know what you're clicking at because i guess before i mean you're really just kind of a you're you're tuning by ear with all of this even when you're sure you know playing a turtle shell or whatever you're 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 yeah pl- you're you're using your ears to try and get a matched tone with other people and uh oh my goodness which, yeah when you the, yeah. The, i really feel for the i mean we have it we have it hard uh but um it's not life or death whether our, our drum is in tune or out of tune. To be fair, no. um, whereas a timpani totally. guy, a timpani player, as we you know, as we know, they have to hit an A and they have to hit a B and they have to hit it with the right stick in the right place for the right duration, and they have to count sixty-eight bars of um, you know rest beforehand before it comes in. You know, it, it's it's yeah. it, that's why it is I'm, life or death. Yeah, that's why I'm not a timpani player. I would have exactly I'd be in the pub. I would be like, "Where's the timpani <laughs> player?" It's, yeah. uh, no, I'd, I'd have lost interest ages ago, and um, so too. they're very, very pernickety um, with their um, with their drum heads and with their uh, and rightly so. You know, there's a separate uh, like a Remo. There's a separate area where there's just some guys who are dedicated. Oh, yeah. to to making yeah. timpani. You know, and it's uh, and now I need to say we love timpani players and they're all great people <laughs> and uh, and that uh, they're all friends of ours as well. But they, yeah. they have a hard job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hats off, hats off. But um, yes, another. I was just going to make another parallel here, actually, because you know my other my job, my full time job is working with theatre practitioners. You know, I'm actually I actually went to drama school to to learn uh, stage management when I left school, and I've worked in theatre and worked as a flyman and worked as a stage technician. And the parallels between this mechanism on Cornelius's ward, you know. Uh, kettle drum is very similar to what you would find in the theater and also in sailing um, on ships, you know, so out of the industrial revolution, you know, we, we are taking our knowledge of rope work um, and, you know, field drums and we are, we are now putting metal onto it and making it and twisting it to our advantage, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there's many parallels in theater and especially on boats, you know, cogs little wheels little pulleys yeah 
um, screw threads. I'll just tighten that. Bottle screw threads, bottle threads. Um, and I think there's some very, very interesting kind of you know, um, uh, similarities there. There's some interesting, I looked up for Cornelius Ward in America and there's some, at the Library of Congress, they hold some flutes, um, early 19th century flutes of Cornelius Ward. So he, he extended his, um, his work to, to other instruments. Man, what a, what a guy, you know, what a guy. What a guy. What a shout out. So, you know, we, we've come a long way, you know, you've come from turtle, you know, upturned turtles with dried on skins through, um, you know, drums in the 15th and 16th century with, you know, which are rope and screw uh, snare mechanisms. And we're right up to the, the, the end of the 19th century now. And, and we're moving into this modern age where suddenly drums become so cheap and popular that we've got millions of people looking to try and manipulate them. <laughs> um, and none of them, and none of them have a gig. None of them have any musical mm. outlet whatsoever. They, you know, I mean, when I was teaching, in the height of my teaching, I was um, teaching. If I worked a Saturday, I could be teaching up to 100 pupils a week easily. Um, and I often thought, what am I doing? I'm earning good money here. But what? These guys are never, half of these guys are never going to even see a band. They're never going to be yeah, useful at school. Sure. But they do want to know how to make their drums. So then we've got this demand, you know, that has just peaked, um, probably peaked about five years ago. Um, it, there was so, and actually, I do remember this. I was camping in Scotland in 1998, and the, the, <laughs> the mayor of Dundee renamed one Christmas, he renamed the, the town Drumdee. Because wow. so many, they'd sold so many drum kits to so many people in drum in Dundee that year, he decided to rename it. You know, so I, th I think it peaked at the you know, you know the two thousands, two thousand five, what have you. Yeah, yeah, so, it's interesting. It's a yeah. resurgence of you know, like maybe in the sixties with Ringo and stuff. There's there's those periods of uh, oh and people goodness. are lucky now yeah. that they're just doing. It's just your standard tuning uh tension rods and a you know a hoop yeah. but um yeah yeah and you know what i there are there are people more qualified than me to to kind of go through that immediate history but what i did make a quick quick note on was um some of the tech tuning kind of techniques so in um yeah at the turn of the century so 1897 there was a guy called lion i don't know his first name but he used two rings to sandwich um, different different sized rings to sandwich the skin, and if he moved one ring, uh, that would change pitch. So he patented that in 1897. And then there was a guy, a pair, Sap and Stewart system. Um, in 1899, they used a, an inner tube, like on a bike. So again, we're taking you know, uh, hit, you know, Michelin stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. car, cars and and bikes uh, um, um, uh, modifications. And we're applying them to drums. Um, and you basically, you, uh, you hydraulically, you could change the pitch of your drum. So they, they patented Ooh. that. I thought that was hilarious. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, um, and then this is where I hand over to somebody else. We have the beautiful people at Ludwig um, who's, who, you know, in 1911, they patented a pedal-operated um, timpani, um, which must have been an improvement on anything else before. And... You know, so uh, 1918, a pedal and a cable, 1921 pedal with spring balance. And it just goes on. And that's when that's when suddenly 
I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> because when you when you look at it, it there's so many different kind of um, you know people you know having a go. You know, even um, you know film stars. You know, coming up with um, Marlon Brando even painted some patented something. You know. Um, everybody's having a go at, at, at changing the world, you know. This episode is brought to you by Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee. Call 615-383-8343 or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. You, you make a good point, and uh, I always like to preface that it's because it's, I've gotten some on some episodes, people said, oh, you missed this and this. No one knows everything, and, and, no, exactly. and this is almost just a discussion it's, as opposed to being the full undisputed history of tuning <laughs> yeah. it's just a good discussion on it yeah. but i want to read this i got actually very recently i was um talking with a guy named great friend of the show joe meckler or joey boom and um mm-hmm. before we were even talking he, we were talking about doing an episode about the different kinds of tension on drums because yeah not even how to tune them but um obviously like you got the tack you know tack yeah. on heads and all this stuff he gave me a cool list, though, and this is something we can look forward to. People listening can hear this later, but uh, here's it's it's there's rope tension, wire truss, single tension, single point node slash single tension, direct thread slash tube lugs, floating <laughs> inserts, internal tune. And uh, and he we're trying to get together a different person <laughs> to talk for each of those. But wow. Yeah. So you you get the. It's just, but it, what I find interesting is that it's all trying to achieve the same thing is exactly you yeah. hit the damn drum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, this is it. And I, I, this, I still maintain this. You've got to have somebody on the other end of those sticks who can play the music. And um, so whatever it does it is kind of secondary to then the performance. Um, I, I, you know, doing a lot of uh, trade shows, I was at NAM one year and a guy comes up to me and he goes, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing my PhD in, in membranes <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, oh no. Cool. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> yeah. a fantastic thing. And, but I always think tuning for tuning sake is uh, a spiral vortex of unhappiness. I really do think yeah. that when you're just tuning and somebody's is tuning away and then they turn around to me and go, does that sound right? I, I know I go to them. I have no clue. You're not playing the music. <laughs> It's not in context. You're just tuning and you'll always be chasing your tail that way. Um, So I always push people away from that um, because ultimately, you know, what pays the money is the groove and Mm -hmm. the fact that you're a nice person and you're hireable and you fit in with the band and so on and so forth. There's so many much more important things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like playing the drums. Yeah. But as a subject, as a technical subject, it's very interesting. Yeah. We can go back through the history and we can look at it, but it's, um, um, but yeah, the different types, here's the thing, actually that ties into uh, 1952, uh, Len Hunt ran a shop in the, in London and uh, my good friend, Pete Woods at Potter's drums in in Aldershot, uh, 
they they are nineteenth century companies still going that fix up a lot of the royal and military jobs and look after them. And Pete Woods is a, used to work for Len Hunt, but Len Hunt is um, is down as inventing a screw mechanism which uh, adjusts a rope tensioning system <laughs> on uh, on a military drum, which I think is brilliant. Wow. You know, so not only do we have all of those um, things that you just suggested, but we've got, we've got hybrids <laughs> yeah. where one, yeah. one, one system controls another system, you know, um, you know, because everybody's looking for, I mean, you've, you've done the, you've talked to Herbie May from Rebo about the plastic head. Yeah. I mean, when, when that came in, when the successful head came in, uh, that made it so much more easier for people like Ludwig and Slingerland and everybody to sell their drums to the emerging market of people who just wanted to enjoy themselves playing drums. It became a recreation rather than a job. Um, and that's when, you know, the, the difficulties with, you know, working this, this, uh, these two heads, you can't get it any more harder. Uh, honestly, you've got two membranes, you've got a shell, um, you know, it's like, how do we get this thing to work? And that's, and that's what I've done on, yeah. on the, on the Instagram videos on, on, on uh, at drum tuning workshops, because there is a, there's a, there's a video on there on how to tension a snare drum in one and a half minutes. And <laughs> that's yeah. fast. I feel like it's like an infomercial where it's like yeah. <laughs> an egg and in five minutes. <laughs> and you know what? I four minute really, abs. <laughs> I wasn't really rushing, but you know, I, I spent time as a, this is interesting. I spent time as a sonar drum rep. I you know, not only was um, I interested in tuning, I was really interested in sonar drums and the guys at the local shop, um, Rattle and Drum in Derby said, Jeff, yeah, you know so much about sonar. You should become the rep. And one day I did. And I went to Germany and I talked to Karl Heinz Menzel in the factory. And, and I talked, told him what I've been doing with tuning and just, you know, showing people. He says, well, tuning is simple. You just, just do that you just you know turn the screws and you have tension <laughs> and i thought well yeah i mean in, in yeah, theory <laughs> yeah i just thought well that's my kind of guiding light in a sense it, yeah keep it simple you know don't don't overcomplicate it and the, so the fine tune i've not done a video on fine tuning people talk about fine tuning and i've, I've not really found a, a quick way yet to do it i will do it uh, but that uh, well, do, do you do you yeah. use do you use the, um, let's say, like the dial tune or anything like that? Um, mm. Any of those systems that use like, um, you know, I, yeah. I want to say science. They use, yeah, they, 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 they use, use num- a, no, yeah, tune so by numbers. Um, there's a Regal Tip product, um, which is a torque, torque measuring thing. And there's yeah. the, obviously the drum dial and there's iTune. There's people who That's use, what I meant. That's what yeah, I meant, drum yeah. dial. Yeah. Yeah, the drum dial. Um, I've... Um, I don't personally use them, um, but I I do as a, if you're working backstage, you're a drum tech. Yeah, you got the band playing, the snare drum fails. You need to swap out the snare drum. You need to get the main drum back up and running, or blah blah blah. Um, that can be a very handy tool, um, and I I will always always I won't diss them because they all have a function. I think the drum dial is from the denim industry. It's from um, from the fabric industry for measuring tension on fabric. I think oh, that's where wow. that's come from. Uh, I believe. Cool. And, um, I, 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 lo- I love it because people put me up against it and, and they say, right, <laughs> I want you to make this head even and I'll do it. And then we go, and then they put the dial on and they go, Oh, you did that. And I go, well, nice. yes, yeah, because man versus it, machine. 
Well, because we're better than the machine, because I, we go back to that 17 muscles in your in the palm of your hand and the 18 muscles in your forearm, and you have a brain, and the brain can can measure uh, reverberation. It can remember rooms. It can remember floors. It can remember the drum. It can remember the head. It can put it all together. These are the variables we were talking about. And it can yeah. put it all together and come out with an answer because it's a most immense computing machine. But again, if you tune mm. just with a dial, you're, you're painting by numbers. You'll only have a, these, these are guys that, um, you know, that kind of need to throw away, you know, use the force Luke. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, you know, what is it? John Henry versus the machine kind of thing. And like old, uh, yeah. folklores, but, I mean, um, yeah, my 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 overall theory on tuning is to is to spend as little time on it as possible, uh, and buy the best equipment that you can, and um, obviously study it. You know, have a day where you're kind of thinking about sounds, but always use uh, music as a reference. Like, oh, like Phil Rudd on ACDC. How does he get that? Snare? Sure. And, or Bonham's four hundred two sound. And people do ask me to recreate sounds, and I can do it. I can say, oh, well, it's it's this head, and it's this drum, and it's at this tension. Off we go. Um, I've been asked to recreate Steve Gadd's sound like a million times in workshops, in shops. And everybody's, <laughs> everybody's very disappointed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, because it's it's the way you play. It ain't, it's, it, it's exactly. not necessarily the tuning, you know. And um, and that's, a, that's another little discovery. But um, I try and, you know, keep it, keep it happy, keep it, keep it positive, have a goal. Um, you know, it's a, Ultimately, we're just here to kind of share information, and uh, nobody's right, nobody's wrong, all of that kind of stuff. Because otherwise, you'll just, you'll just tie yourself up in knots, you know. <laughs> no, well, I I get I fall into that, um, and I need to just get out of it. I fall into that category of don't touch it; it sounds good. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like if you touch my, if you move a t- like a tension rod, I'll never be able to get it back. Um, which oh, I need yeah. to get away from. Well, look, the, the more that you do it, you'll see the activity that I bring to a drum. You'll see that I do lots and lots of movements in a very short space of time. Um, yeah. And I'm that kind of guy because um, you can always get it back. Um, it's a bit, yeah. I, the guys that just tippy-tappy and just do one movement every now and then, ooh, yeah, you're in trouble. You've got to kind of, you've got to pour yourself over it. Um, and, and then, and then you give yourself the confidence. It's all about muscle memory. You're training your hands. I mean, I use my left hand, um, my non-dominant hand, to actually tune the uh, best because it's, for me, it's the most sensitive. It goes towards my right side of my brain. It's got um, my spatial awareness, you know, um, tied in with it. Um, so use your left hand. Um, make lots of movement. Make lots of adjustment. Remember what those adjustments are. Um, I've got a, a tuning triangle, which I, I talk about, which is sight, sound, and feel. It's like the fire triangle, but, you know, for, for tuning. And you put all three together, you have happy, successful tuning. You know, you can see the head, you can see the screws, uh, you can feel uh, the head, you can feel the screws and the counter hoop, and then, um, obviously, you can play it and you can um, – you can put all three things together. You'll you'll have happiness. Take one away, and you're compromised. Um, so I think the the tuning triangle is one of my big things. Is uh, got it's also like head fit. Head fit is a three way deal. You know we've been fighting with um, you know uh, tuning mechanisms for years, but they've all followed the same thing. You've got you've got a head which goes on the shell, and then you've got uh, 
the shell which goes which has the the fittings onto it and then the fittings go back to the counter hoop um and you've got mm. this this it goes round and each one has to be correct you know good head fit um is is very important and it helps the tuning feel and it helps the tuning mechanism again if you take one away you have you have a, a really tight fit on a head like you take the gretsch drums um recently where the you know the classic fit has kind of fixed a, a gretsch drum problem on a 14 uh, where the wrap suddenly starts scraping against the inside of the aluminium hoop on the head you know you've got an issue there and you've got to deal with it you know and, um, it's again one of the many variables <laughs> it's, it's yeah honestly, there's so it's, many it's variables it's, let's it, just it really have is. someone else do it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, um, this is why you have text. Yeah, you have you know. This is I mean, why you have text. Nick, Nick yeah. Mason. I don't think Nick Mason has ever touched one of his drums. Uh, well, he did tell me that. How do you get on with tuning, Nick? Oh. Well, I don't really do it. I have somebody do it for me. That's funny. Um, yeah. Well, he can. He can. for guys like us who can't afford that. Um, <laughs> now, as as we kind of get close to the end here, I want to ask yeah. you. You mentioned that. Time after time, everyone has the same questions. Yes, that's right. Why don't you maybe give us the top five questions that everyone always asks? Um, and you can kind of quickly give us a little answer and maybe you can kind of answer some I, things that I've people are thinking about. I should, head, have but. I should have written, I should have my sheets with me, but I can tell you, I can tell you um, an easy one is. Sure. Uh, this is, this is great. I love it. How do I get a good bass drum sound? There you go. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, good bass drums. What's good? You know, um Yeah. And 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 but this is the kind of question you get. So it's um that's that's so the answer is uh whatever fits the music, but obviously what I'll do is I'll then demonstrate like three different tunings on a bass drum and then they, let them decide what, which one's good. <laughs> um, yeah. I always think about tuning this is probably the answer that I always think about tuning being low, medium, or high. Very simply, um, low, medium, or high on a thin, medium, or thick drum head, which you can interpret as a diplomat, ambassador, or emperor. Put those three together against those other three you, and, and practice and, and kind of get to grips with that idea, and you'll lead yourself down the world of different drum heads and the worlds of different tunings used by you know premium artists throughout the ages. So you'll look at buddy's snare drum and you'll go blimey that's tight that's a high tuning or you'll look at um you know bonham's tuning and you'll look you know you'll decide that it's a, another another tension but you know keep it simple so low medium or high tension with a thin medium or thick head and you'll guide your way through it um another good one is um how do i stop snare buzz snare buzz is a great yeah. um and unfortunately you can't um, <laughs> yeah you know you uh, look at i like it, snare i mean yeah i love it, it, it kind of it ties your whole drum set together a little it, bit you know what i mean like it yeah yeah i mean classic yeah. a classic non-snare buzz sound for a kit is um danny carey's and tool i mean that yeah. is one hell of a dry sounding the, the latest recordings they've done is like bonkers dry it's brilliant very true um but equally i always talk about roland um developing instruments um electronic instruments which actually dial snare buzz back in um so um, <laughs> that's so funny yeah so you can get i mean the old guys back in the you know in the 20s and you know the vaudeville and the silent movie days funny enough i still play silent movies with a pianist in london and oh, cool. uh, they're great they're great things to do and they used to use things like handkerchiefs they used to uh, snip away some of the wires. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Tea towels, you, you all the stuff. I mean, Yeah, yeah. You can tune away from the note, which is sympathetic, but you'll just be moving into another zone. So you're better off just trying to, you know, live with it. Uh, so snare yeah. bars. Um, uh, how do I get rid of pitch bend is another good one. My, my drums are pitch mm-hmm. bend. I've got a little video on pitch bend, which is great. It's funny because the drum that <laughs> the drum that I use is just a basic Yamaha one. Um, and it showed pitch bend really, really well. Um, I tried it on one of my high end sonars and I couldn't get the drum to pitch bend. <laughs> it was like, so it's the drum. Yeah. yeah. The drum would not let me do it. It was, it was really strange. I had obviously the, the batter head at a high tension and the, uh, the resonance side at a low tension and it just wouldn't do it. So I thought, well, I, well, you know, I couldn't dememonstrate it, but, um, pitch bend is a good one. And, I always have a, a a really hard time um, with a f- with like floor toms yeah. without moon gel or anything on it. Floor toms always kind of drive me a little nuts. Like I can always, I always yeah. have trouble with the floor tom. It's very well, flappy. And I've got a video coming up, um, which, which is effectively about resonant heads and how we're all meant to be playing ambassador clears. The ambassador, the ambassador clear came out in the mid sixties. And soon as that happened, you had drum manufacturers buying these things to put on their drums to sell them because it, in, it basically sold, you know, their real estate. They could sell, went up by 100%. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. just not selling what the inside of drums looked like as well as the outside. Sure. And, um, and for me, it was the, the biggest, oh, it's a, it's a real pain because we can manipulate the bottom head so easily, either with, you know, uh, God forbid tape, but you can, you can, for me, I tend to weight up my bottom heads um, with a P3 or even an, um, an Emperor clear or, or I've got one drum, which you'd love. You'd love this. It's an Emperor on the top and a P4 on the bottom. And oh, wow. it sounds enormous, but I'm a single stroke <laughs> kind of guy. You know, <laughs> I don't play yeah. doubles. I'm just like a one hit wonder. It suits me down to the <laughs> ground, you know. Um, but, you know, check out the videos because they kind of, um, the twin ply top and bottom video I've got coming up is, is just wonderful because it's it's kind of got that sound, which is so easy to manipulate. It's already it's pre-EQ'd. And this is what you can do with, with drum heads is that you can, EQ before it gets to the microphone with the correct drum head. You you know if you've just got a job in mind and you, it's you and you don't mind where the tension's at, um, you can really EQ your head. Um, so I've I've got friends who've who've shown me you know uh, I've got a mate who played a skin tone over an emperor uh, emperor um, snare side on a on an acrylite. So this is an eight mil head. Uh, mil being thousands of an inch over a five right. mil head uh, on a, on an acrylite and he plays big band jason thank you very much and um <laughs> it's, it's brilliant it's the most wonderful sound and then he puts his wallet on top and bang off he goes he's got his sound so i we i try and encourage people to be adventurous with their, their head choices um you know you and their tensions you know don't forget yeah. the bottom head you know, the bottom head is where it's at but yeah pitch bend and floor toms yeah floor is a big old drummer floor tom it's a long way from the top to the bottom the, the sound slows down if you like the energy um, has longer to kind of hang around it's it's a really tricky job i have done some floor tom videos and um well yeah. i think um 
I think like you just said, is it's, it's, it's like part of me is like, yes, you got to experiment with different heads, but I know heads aren't cheap. You play them for six months or whatever. Sure. And then you're like, do I buy something now that I'm like <laughs> going to experiment with and get something yeah. totally different? But, but it, it is important to do that. I mean, to it's, get something different. It's, it's really interesting. I do talk to people at trade shows, um, where they say, well, it's really expensive, that Jeff. I says, oh, what are you going out tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going out for a meal. Yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to do this. We're going to get trolled. And are you going on holiday this year? Yeah, I'm going on holiday. Yeah, yeah. So, so how much is all that costing? Oh, it's going to cost about 1,500 quid. It's like, well, this head is 20, 20 quid. And, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's, you know, and, and it won't wear out. You make a good out. point. I, well, I know, I know. I, I, I've seen it. I've but seen I want to go drink some beers. and Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do prioritize beer over heads. But when you look yes. at it, when you look at it, it, it really is a, a level of importance. It's like, right, I've got a gig coming up where I do need some, I need a sound, man. I need a sound. And I've done that many times where I've set up kits for, for guys who then recorded with them that week and sent me an email saying, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. They've got a job in hand. So again, yeah, only really um, make it, um, you know, prioritize it with the music. Don't just, you know, obviously if you're rich, sure. and you just want to change and swap about. But um, yeah, do make it. sure. Yeah. But do it, yeah, because, you know, when you look at how we spend our money, it's completely chaotic. Um, and I think oh, if yeah. people, people are that really keen to get a good drum sound, they should have a, a set of heads. Um, you should see the set of heads I've got. Um, they should have a set of heads which helps them navigate the musical journey they're on. Um, like some jazz heads and some some rock heads, and you know, put it very simply. Um, and then look, look at those look at those heads. You know, a low, medium, or high tension, and they and you. Funnily enough, you can find yourself you know with a with a great sound in seconds. You know, and hmm. the last video I've done is um, a multiple tom setup, which is which is so funny. It's just the loudest kit on the planet. But that's CS dots top and bottom. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, you can't imagine Love the those. loudest kit. But the, the kit I've got next coming up is uh, just Emperor's top and bottom. And you'll hear that. And I, I know for a fact I'm going to get some emails which are going to go, how do I get that sound? <laughs> well, then why don't we tell people as we wrap up here, where yeah. can they tell them where they can find your videos say the name again all that stuff because really you can see all this put into perspective and they're fast yep. <laughs> like they they really give you a good yeah quick I'm, example I'm, i don't do any fine tuning broad brush strokes and they're all at, at drum tuning workshops on instagram uh there's a youtube page which i kind of started uh, which is drum tuning workshops again these are the first videos i've ever done and uh, they're great fun they're quick they're easy they're not like you know, I've seen videos on floor toms which last sixteen minutes on one yeah. drum. I'm I'm afraid my life is too short, and um, it was not more important. It's not long enough. <laughs> you know, there just, you go. It's a good way. Yeah, to <laughs> just it doesn't need to be like that. And um, and as a friend of mine used to say, that says that's time you'll never get back, Jeff. That's time you'll never mm. get back. Um, that's true. Hopefully people don't feel like that after they listen to our uh, conversation. <laughs> today, right. <laughs> so, uh, keep it simple, yeah, move quickly, no distractions, no babies, Bart. Uh, no babies. Oh, I, I no, yeah, no yeah. comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no babies in the way you have to kind of move quickly and just get to the bar as quickly as possible. Um, exactly. <laughs> now I have a music space, which is nice. Like I have a space, you mm. know, 
like in an old warehouse building where I can go and, and be as loud as I want. Cause I've learned that having this stuff at home, I just, I can't do it. I played for 20 minutes. I was going to try and record some stuff. And my yeah. wife was like, this is too loud. And I said, all right, I'm going, I'm leaving. I'm packing up everything <laughs> and going to the studio. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You've got to make space and um, yeah, but I'll, I'll hope to be um, on my holiday at, uh, in Chicago next year. And um, I'm planning on being at some shops in the UK again um just doing you know open open days and uh but other than that i'm on if you want to email me drum tuning workshops at email.com just fire away you know you're quite welcome to get in touch that way drum tuning workshops at email not gmail email oh i was gonna say i think you said email instead of gmail and (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. it's a great site it's a great site and it was around cool at the beginning and um yeah it's just a conversation you know it's um and I really look forward to somebody, you know, putting um, more history into the pit, you know, um, sure, filling out, filling course. out the gaps. Because I, what I've just discovered on lockdown is is all available freely. I mean, uh, apart from the James Blade book. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the Cornelius Ward snare drum, because obviously that is, uh, you know, a real interesting piece. Um, and more about the guy, yeah. you know. Uh, so yeah if no, that's else fascinating wants to, and and yeah yeah and like you said that uh this will i'm sure i'll have other episodes down the line where it takes like i said it takes a deep dive into each different kind of tension and all that stuff and and sure. what what i've learned with a lot of these is is many of them uh like george way is one person who has come up on yes i think four different episodes where i feel like now very finally we have like his whole history kind of put together and it took yeah four different episodes where I say, go check out this one and this one. So it's often the way they're so influential, but they're so tied to the, the needs of the current musician and uh, all tuning technology is tied to the current needs, you know, and, um, and often we don't need much. I mean, the system we have now is the hardest, but it's the most cost effective to make. So it's, it's yeah. worth, it's worth having a look at it. And obviously the system for timpani players, they only have one side uh, to, to tune, but it, they have a more emphasis on the note that they have to make. Um, yeah, they have sure. amazing the Adams setups are amazing. Um, you know what? You know the company Adams. Um, mm. So we're we're about at the uh, at the peak of our powers right now. And um, but it, but we mustn't just forget we've got these two hands here with loads of muscles and you know we can do it. It's we don't need the machines. We can just learn. No. Apply, apply it to the music. We're- we're better than the machines. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> Jeff, well, I hope so. thank you. Uh, thank you My for pleasure. taking the time to come and talk with us. And it's been a uh, pleasure to get to, to know you over the last couple of weeks. And uh, yep. I look forward to hanging out at uh, Chicago next year in 2021. And we'll all, we'll all get together and have a, have a beer. All right. Nice one, Bob. All right, Jeff. Thanks for being on the show. All the best. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning. This is a Gwyn Sound Podcast.